waiting. He's here. Uh, and one of the things uh, that I think is fascinating uh, about this is I was reading a devotional about this this week. Um, and forgive me, uh, Latin scholars, since there are about 100 in here, I'm sure. <laughs> the word rejoice that's in this is the word gaude, G-A-U-D-E, right? Isn't that right? It is, right? Which I wonder if the word gaudy comes from that. Um, maybe it should. Maybe we could get a little more gaudy in our uh, rejoicing. That's why I'm wearing plaid pants. So um, they don't look plaid, do they? Only This is our Presbyterian plaid. <laughs> the kind of plaid that you can't tell is plaid, right? Um, uh, but I, I, what, what a great uh, thing for us to sing this morning, the second Sunday in Advent. Uh, we started last week, uh, we take, we're taking a break from First Peter, looking at, uh, during Advent for four weeks, uh, at uh, a sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 3, uh, and uh, today what I want us to do is to look at this text, we're going to also cite the text that comes right before this, a little bit later in the sermon, um, and look at the theme that Peter develops this week in the text that God is faithful. So let me uh, read to you uh, Acts 3, 22 through 26. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So the great thing about Advent is, is that it is a time of darkness in which we cry out to God to bring his light for him to fulfill his promises. And so, uh, Sarah, put my notes up here. So one of the things that I think is profound about this, particularly in this time and, uh, in which we live, is in light of um, uh, the promise that Jesus Christ has come, we have seen that, we have uh, heard uh, uh, the gospel, and we have believed it, and we live today in light of his soon coming again, we have to say, what are we to say about these days? And what do I mean about these days? Well, these days, um, you can just look at your own life and think about what's going on. The, the, the brokenness that you feel, the, the partial joys that you feel. Um, and honestly, uh, pastorally, let me say something very directly this morning. I, I cannot remember a time in the life of this congregation where I have not seen more people afraid than I have the last week. I'll just call it out. <laughs> it's true. Um, and uh, so I, I wonder about what we do about that. We, uh, you know, we, um, one, of, one of the things that I was thinking about this week, uh, about this, was for years, since 1986, almost every year that we've been here, one or some portion of our family has run in the Richmond Marathon. And, I, and again, this year, my daughter and I, both ran races, and um, uh, <clears throat> since, since 1986, we've done this. Marty is, knows the drill. She always goes, and uh, 
uh, is ready to pick us up, but she knows where to park and where to watch and all that kind of stuff. And she's at the finish line, and uh, I finished the race. And unlike 1986, I had my cell phone so I could text her to say, hey, you know, I just crossed the finish line. Where are you? And she tells me where she is. And I go and find her, and, and, uh, and we leave. And she says, you know, I, this was really, really hard for me. And I said, why? She said, because I watched a guy uh, in front of us with a pink backpack. Um, and she's like, I thought, you know, if he puts that backpack down, I'm going to go find a policeman. These days. These days. So in light of things like that, in light of, you know, uh, uh, maybe, maybe you haven't even gotten to that yet in your life today. Maybe you're, you're just thinking about, you know what, I feel sick today. I don't feel very good. Or, or like m- a number of the people that I spoke to after the first service who uh, either are dying themselves or uh, um, have uh, family members who are near death or family members who have just died. It's hard for you to understand and put together exactly what it means to rejoice Uh, And particularly as the song that we sing today, to rejoice in something yet to come. Emmanuel will come, shall come. Uh, So what good is a promise then? uh, And what good is a promise while you wait for it to be fulfilled? Right? I mean, one of the things that is tough for us is that we hear God make these promises to us. And we... uh, uh, and, the, and the fact that we have to wait for these promises to be fulfilled only increases some, and for some of us our anxiety and our concern and our fears. And, and we're like, God has promised these things. Where is he? What's, he? what's he doing? When is he going to act? And why does God make promises and wait so long to fulfill them? <laughs> really? Um, and how does uh, looking back, as Peter does in this text, help us? To look forward. Sarah, ne- next slide. So, so what you have to see here is what Peter does in this text. He's just healed a man. He knows he has a, a caused a stir in the temple and he is about to uh, get in real trouble and he says these words. So, so to make the point about uh, the, the nature of God, Peter piles up promises in this text that we've read. In verse 22, he says that Moses predicted the coming of a prophet like himself. In verse 24, he says that all the prophets from Samuel on down proclaim these days, the days of Jesus. And then in verse 25, he goes even further back, and he says that God made a promise to Abraham about these days. The point is that when Jesus comes, he confirms the truth of all these promises. He shows that God is trustworthy. He keeps his word. Christmas bears witness to the fact that for millennia, God had promised a deliverer. In fact, if Peter wanted to, he could have gone all the way back to Genesis 3 and the promise of God when he brings the curse in the garden and he tells Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And so through all those years, through all those centuries, God was at work bringing to fruition his promise, and we have that great verse in Galatians where Paul says, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. 
And so what we recognize here and what Peter is declaring to these folks and to us is that our God makes promises and, and, and he is not vague and he is not unclear and he is not unfaithful. If he says it, it is as good as done. And yet, and yet, we're human beings. And I want you to hear today that as I proclaim to you this word from Peter, as, as he speaks to us about the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God, do not feel rebuked this morning if you're sad. And do not feel rebuked this morning if, if you have questions. And don't feel rebuked this morning that somehow or other you don't have faith, that you wonder and you cry out, as we have this morning already, Jesus, come, bring to bear fully the righteousness that you lived and died and rose again. Cover this planet in your righteousness and in your glory. And so we hold those two things in tension with one another. The absolute certainty that our God keeps his promise and the longing, the longing, the heart's cry, as Kevin's already said today, that we, we long to see him face to face that he would bring those two things that as they rub up against one another in our lives, that, that we would have a vision and an understanding of what it means to say that we have faith, that we take God at his word, and yet we cry out to him in the midst of this, bring it about, bring it to fruition. Next slide. Uh, and so what Peter does here is he, he says to us that we can trust God by reminding us of his promises, of the things that he has said in the past. And so in the verses right before the ones I just read to you, he says this, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as, also, as did also your rulers, that is when they killed Jesus. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for establishing all that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. You see, what he is saying here to us is this profound thing that, that Jesus has come. And because Jesus has come, God is at work in the world in a profoundly and, and in some ways a more intense way than he ever has been. And now is the time to hear it. Now is the time to believe it. Now is the time to repent of, of our waywardness and our rebellion and to trust him because, because we know that even though millennia went by where, where the, the, the Messiah was promised, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And because of that, because God kept all those promises, he is keeping his promise even now. Even if it seems like he is slow in keeping his promise, he is keeping his promise and he is faithfully at work to bring about his plan, his desire, his work in the world. So, so when, you, when you hear this and you, and you see this, that is the ground under which we stand today. That is the hope that we have. That is, that in fact, that is the very uh, context whereby we lament and we cry out to the Lord because we have tasted his goodness. We've, we've seen his heart. We know of his love and we want to see it come in its fullness to this world. 
And so the very fact that we can sit here today and the very fact that we can engage in worship, the very fact that we can celebrate Advent and look forward to his coming at Christmas and cry out for his second coming is the absolute certainty that he is faithful and what he has said he will do. Next slide, please, Sarah. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. You see, nothing could be richer, nothing could be better, nothing could be more encouraging to us today. And yet, and yet, as we sing this, and as we say this, next slide, Sarah, we think, where's the, where is the comfort? Where is the sense that the Lord is here? Well, I was listening this week in the car. Um, one of the things you know that's cool about Richmond is we have 98.1, the Christmas station, and you can hear everything from the Hallelujah Chorus, to Dominic, the Christmas donkey, all in the matter of driving to lunch, you know? And uh, you get culture, culture, and culture. You know, culture is what you put in milk to make it, you know, kind of spoil a little bit. So anyway, I was listening to Oh, oh Little Town of Bethlehem this week. We hear the Christmas angels, right? We hear him say, glory to God in the highest. The great glad tidings tell, oh, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel, right? So we, we want to see, uh, we celebrate his coming and we look forward to his ultimate coming and in bringing the curtain down on this broken world and renewing it and restoring it once and for all. See, the great thing about this is, is that when we hear God make a promise, we tend to look at it the same way in which we make promises, uh, I, I do premarital counseling, six, six to seven appointments with everybody I marry. And uh, one of the things that is important when you do that is to look at the vows that you're making, the promises that you're making before God and these witnesses uh, to, to be faithful and to be honoring and to cherishing and all, all of those wonderful things. And so the, the, the thing about that is, you know, the, the truth is for us, when, when we get married, you know, we're full of, of joy and full of anticipation, and it hardly ever occurs to us that we might break one of those vows or that somehow or other we wouldn't always cherish this lovely bride and, and, and that we wouldn't always love and honor each other and be so careful about that. And so I, I tell people that marriage is wonderful. It is a great gift of God. Martin Luther said that next to God's word, there's no more precious gift than holy matrimony. And yet, and yet, before you leave for your honeymoon, you'll break some of those vows. We got, we got married early in the morning. Well, as early in the morning as you could at 11 o'clock. I wanted to get married at 9. <laughs> and Marty's mom's like, no, we're not going to do that. I'm serious. I'm not making this up. It's true. You can ask her. I'm like, let's get married at 9 and, you know, get through this reception business and get to the beach. We were going to the beach. I, I love the beach. So that was what we were supposed to do. She's like, well, let's do it at 11. So we got married at 11. And uh, we didn't, because we were talking to everyone, we didn't have an opportunity to get very much to eat. 
And so my sister-in-law had promised, I'll pack a picnic basket for you from all the food, you know. And so, so we get to our, our place for our honeymoon. We're like, I'm starving. We open the thing up and... We had chicken wings at the reception, so Marty had one and I had one. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Please, please don't hear this as, as a, a sexist comment, but um, you know you're in trouble when the sandwiches that you're promised are triangular. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? The little triangle sandwiches? I like square sandwiches. <laughs> But the little triangles, you're like, you know, like, like that. Well, she, Marty had one, and I had one. <laughs> she had a carrot stick, I had a carrot stick. One celery stick, one celery stick. One cherry tomato, one cherry tomato. And I'm like, what is wrong? I'm starving, you know, and, and that's nothing like being tired and overhyped and, and, and hungry. And uh, I'm like, what? What's, what's, up with, what's, what's up with the food? Why did you ask her to do that? Wouldn't you pick somebody else better to do this? And she's like, well, she's your sister-in-law. <laughs> so we had an opportunity to apply the gospel and the understanding of our, our vows as we honored and cherished each other over our triangular sandwiches. So, 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 the, so the, the reality is, as we proclaim this good news and we proclaim this this good work. The fact is, we live in light of the God who keeps his promise, who has said that Jesus will come, who has said that he will, he will continue to be with us, and he will see us through to the end. But the fact of the matter is, as you hear that, and as you process that, and as we cry out for the Lord to come today, it's important for us to do this. It's important for us to be honest about the, the nature of faith. Peter goes back to Abraham, and I think he, the reason why he goes back to Abraham is because Abraham is called the father of the faithful. We read that great story where, where God comes to Abraham and promises him uh, uh, an unlimited number of posterity and, and promises him this land as far as he can see, and, and he, he, does these, he does these wonderful, makes these wonderful promises, and Abraham's, uh, the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. The very fact that we are believing God today has an awful lot to do with the fact that Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And in that very story where God does that, where it says that Abraham believed God, we have Abraham asking God, how am I to know? How am I to know? I'm old and I don't have any children. I don't have any land. How am I to know? So, so the, the, the fact of the matter is, Abraham believed God and he asked God the question, how am I to know? Well, God in his grace and in his mercy and his power answers Abraham this way. Next slide. He tells Abraham that, that he is his, his shield and his very great reward. Uh, and, and he says to him, when Abraham says, how will I know? God says, bring a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And you thought this, that, that, that what, God was, <laughs> what Abraham was doing here was something profound, that God was going to do this big thing in answering his questions. And it looks like he's 
forming a petting zoo for the mall, doesn't it? I mean, really. You bring a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, what God is going to ask Abraham to do is to take those animals and to kill them, to cut them in two, to shed their blood, and to break them in half. Because in that culture, when you made an agreement, you did that with animals. And by doing that, you said, uh, if, if I break uh, this covenant, if I break this contract, let it be to me just as it is to these animals. And so Abraham splits those animals apart and he waits and the sun sets and God comes to him in the form of a torch and a smoking fire pot and he moves between those pieces. How will I know? That's how you'll know. How will I know? The God who made the covenant with its stipulations knows that you will break it. And at the same time, he takes upon himself your punishment for breaking it. He walks between those broken pieces. He walks between those torn animals. And he takes upon himself the punishment for our breaking of this agreement. And so what we see here and what we understand here is that Abraham asks the question, we should all ask the question, how will I know? How will I know? How can I know? And God's resounding answer to that is not so much rebuke as it is, look at the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus came, Jesus lived your life, died your death, and he is coming again. And that is the very foundation of what we believe. That is what gives us the ability to take another step. That gives us the ability to wait in the darkness and to know and to trust that God is faithful and he is keeping his promise. Next slide. Next slide. <laughs> Keep going. We need to hurry up. Pastor went too long at the early service. So, um, I know I said that there are three responses to this promise, um, um, but actually there are uh, four. So pick three out of the four. Um, one of the things that is profound to me about this picture of what happens with Abraham is that God makes the promise in the midst of darkness. It says that a darkness came over Abraham, that the sun set, and, and as he waited there... Uh, he was waiting in the darkness for God to do whatever he was going to do. This week, I got up Monday morning to crank the car and come to work, and the, the battery was dead. It was cold Monday, and it was raining. Couldn't get to it until after work. Well, after work, it's dark. So you've got to change the battery in the dark. And as one of the things uh, Marty will tell you about me is that I'm not super mechanically inclined, but I think I am. And so uh, I was changing the battery in the dark in the rain with a flashlight in my mouth. And I was thinking I really would like to get one of those hats from uh, L.O. Bean with the, the little light in the, in the bill like that to be able to, to see this in the darkness. But the fact of the matter is so much of our life is like that, isn't it? Where we are in the darkness and we are groping to try to understand where God is, how he is fulfilling his promise, and what he is doing. Well, the fact is the light of the cross tells us that he is trustworthy and we can put our hope in him because Jesus has come, Jesus will come. You can ask your questions. You can say to God, how will I know? 
You can ask him. You can cry out to him and say, how long, O Lord, until you bring this about? You can cry out to him and say, Lord, I, I, I'm struggling to, to see and to hear and to understand the good news today. The Lord loves those kinds of cries. He loves it, and he will respond to you in reminding you of his care and his mercy to you. We can repent. One of the things that is true about the nature of the gospel is that the goodness of God frees us and continues to free us to look at our hearts and to see if we are tempted to despair, if we go to a place where we can't allow any light in at all, that we can repent and turn from that and take God at his word. And then lastly, we can rejoice. And we can rejoice because God has been faithful in the past and he will be faithful in the future. When we sang this morning, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee. He's still on his way. He's still coming. And because he is faithful, we can rejoice in the certainty of his promise fulfilled. And so as we come today uh, to the table of the Lord, we're uh, as I mentioned to you last week, we are going to take communion, take the Lord's Supper um, every uh, Sunday uh, during Advent. And the reason for that is, uh, as I'm about to read to you in the words of institution, Paul says that you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I can't think of a better thing for us to do between the time that the Lord has died and risen again and when he will come again is to eat, to taste, and to see together, uh, and to hope uh, in his uh, soon coming. So hear these words of institution as they come uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's confess our sins together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.
Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and then he gave it uh, to his followers. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to remind you of a couple of facts. One is, um, we live today uh, in uh, the certain uh, certainty uh, of hope that Jesus Christ will come again and bring uh, fully to bear on this world his righteousness, his grace, his mercy, and his power. Uh, we look forward eagerly to that day, and every human desire and every longing will be summed up and dealt with and met in the day that Jesus Christ appears. Between now and that time, we wait, we cry out, we hope, and we look forward uh, uh, knowing uh, that um, the small blessings that we have now, the good things that come our way in a day, are merely appetizers for the full banquet that God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ. We eagerly anticipate that. Let me, let me urge you today to hear, to know, and to trust the promise of God that Jesus Christ has, has lived your life, he has died your death, he has risen again, and he is coming back for you. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope, no other trust, except in the death of Jesus Christ for you, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, he says to you today to taste and see that the Lord is good. He welcomes you to his table. Let me urge you also today to soak yourself in the promise of God. One of the things that is so rich and so profound about the gospel is uh, that it speaks to us of our past, it speaks to us of our present, and it speaks to us of our future. And in every one of those places, Jesus Christ is present, Jesus is active by his spirit, and he is doing his work in and through us. Let me remind you today, when you're tempted to despair, when you're tempted uh, to fear, when you're overwhelmed with darkness or with shame or with difficulty, the truth of the matter is Jesus sees you and his promise to you is yes and amen. He has died your death. He has lived your life. He has risen again and he is coming again for you. Trust him. Take him at his word. He always fulfills his promise. And so as the elders come down front to assist me this morning, let me remind you uh, that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, the bread on this side of the stage is bread that is gluten-free if you require that.